0: Hi there, welcome to the RevOps show. I don't know about you, but uh Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Sales cycles are getting longer and we found ourselves in a unique market, a different market. So what's happening? Why are sales cycles getting longer and what can you do about it to remain successful? Doug shares in today's episode some history to set things up for us and gives you insight into what you can do to come out on the other end strong. So let's just hop on into it.
1: Jess. What's going on, Jess?
2: Oh, you know, you should be pretty excited. This is like the only thing. Wait, between- wait, 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 What? wait,
1: because before we go there. I wanted to just say welcome back. How was your Thanksgiving?
2: It was great. <laughs> I have no idea. There's,
1: there's a, there's Jess, Jess, remember last week was the Thanksgiving episode. I, I remember. And that, yeah. So, so we're coming back. So you I, had Thanksgiving. Let's try that again. Jess, how was your Thanksgiving?
2: It was, it was amazing. It was the best Thanksgiving ever.
1: <laughs> did you have a lot uh, of
2: Turkey stuff to my face? Did you
1: barbecue a family member?
2: I didn't. I did not barbecue a family member. Wow, people are going to be real curious what that means.
1: <laughs> hey, we reward our longtime <laughs> listeners. We reward our 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 loyal listeners. Yep. There's always <laughs> there's there's always a, a hidden egg. Um, so there's a rumor going mm-hmm. around that you've got some amazing approach to cooking a turkey. Of course, that rumor was started by you but tell us about that
2: it's the gordon ramsey approach go look up go look up how he cooks his turkey I have, I have i was telling laura today i have made it five times and it has never come out bad it comes out perfect every time
1: is that like is it like the gordon fisherman
2: it it it, it is but more british
1: <laughs> is it is Gordon Ramsay the guy who yells at everyone? And cusses he is
2: everybody the guy. He and- he is the guy who yells at everybody and cusses everybody out. He knows how to. He knows how to make a perfect egg and he knows how to make a perfect turkey. And that is what, that is what Juan learned over the pandemic. He got really into like Gordon Ramsay and, and trying to cook very specific things. <laughs>
1: so so is he Kitchen Confidential? Is that what? Is that a show?
2: It wasn't. Uh, it's not Kitchen Confidential. It's it's uh Kitchen Night Kitchen Nightmares and uh yeah Kitchen Nightmares. I think
1: Hell's Kitchen. Now he knows how to make the perfect egg.
2: He does. One one actually can make a perfect how? egg now. Perfect how do you... fried egg.
1: Okay, because last time I checked, the chicken made the egg. So I oh, was wondering how he, God. how he made the egg. I mean, and but yeah, and, so... and if that's the case, then I'm not sure that topic is a. This is audience appropriate. <laughs> great um Just, but- isn't it amazing isn't it amazing how <laughs> could you have could you have predicted in in a thousand tribes that we would have talked about gordon ramsay today
2: no i wouldn't have i would not that's have a, predicted that
1: that that's the magic of the reverend show
2: <laughs> is that that's the magic of the reverend show wow
1: Okay, I got I got one more question. I know we got a topic that we're gonna spend a whole lot of time on, so yep. I want to make sure we give it give it its time. Just wanna just want to make sure one thing. Have, have you washed that sweatshirt since the World Series? I have. Okay, good. Okay.
2: I wash it about every other day, so I can wear we, it every other day.
1: We're um, <laughs> we're remote, so I'm fine, but I just wanted to just just make it sure. Alrighty. What are we talking okay. about today, Jess?
2: So you have brought up on several occasions, numerous occasions over the past couple of months that sales cycles are increasing.
1: You know what else I brought up? Me right. want cookie. I would like a cookie right now. I could really Co- go for a cookie right now. Cookie anyway, sorry. Good. Go sales cycles getting longer.
2: Sales cycles are getting longer and I wanted to talk about that today. Why that is? What's happening in the market? What's going on? Because um, you've also alluded to the fact that, like, we're in a we're in a very unique market.
1: I don't know if you can be in a very unique market.
2: Okay. Well, a unique market then. <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, we are. So I'm. I'm going to say we're in a different market. I don't. I don't think we're in a unique market. This. Okay. Market. This market has existed there there are elements about what's happening right now that I think are unique, but mm-hmm. i I think that two things are important when we talk about structural challenges like this one one is um, we understand or at least have a hypothesis of how we got here
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, those those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it yep um, and then also. Be able to identify what's what's similar or the same, what's different. Um, or boy, I'm in a Mark Twain mood today, as Mark Twain said, "History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme." Um, so, so, so I think that, that that's important. There, we are in a different market. There's there's no question we are in a in a, in a very very different market. Um, I think our our project title for the show was, um, "We're not in Kansas anymore." Yep. Um, to sales organization sales leader sales people, I say toto we're not in Kansas anymore there there are certain elements of of what we're experiencing right now that for me mm-hmm. are unique I, it, it's a there's a schizophrenia in in some of what what I'm seeing in, in go to market so we'll get to that okay I, I think one of the things that's really important to point out here though is that the market that we're in mm-hmm. is one that at least many, and I actually think probably most executives, Well, many executives were barely alive the last okay. time we were in a market like this. And I would say most executives were not, were pre-career. Right. Right. So, you know, one of the things that you have to do when you're in a place that's different is to understand that it's different. Um our tendency, and, and, and it is a tendency of top performers, it is, it is, it is a tendency of success. Um, you know, following good to great when a whole bunch of quote unquote great companies blew up, Jim Collins was kind of forced to do a why companies fail right. research. And, and do you know what the number one cause of failure is?
2: Not growing.
1: What? Success. What is sex? what is success? Sorry. What does success breed? The question, what is sex breed would be, a, would have a very different um, answer. What is success breed? It breeds hubris. Hubris. Yeah. What are, what's hubris? Overconfidence. Okay. What, what it also does is, you know, I haven't told this one in a while. When, when I was at Merrill Lynch, I used to keep a sign of, Above my uh, above my door, not not on the mm-hmm. outside coming in, on the inside going out, so that I would see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And that sign said, "Never confuse brains with a bull market." Right. Yeah. Right. And and the thing to understand is when you're right, mm-hmm. at, at best fifty percent of the reason that you're right is luck. Yep. And and it's and it's really really easy to start believing yourself. You start thinking, "I know what to do." Yeah. Oh, I. I've had this problem of, of longer sales cycles before. What we must do is, and we go back to the playbook yep. that for the game that we're not playing anymore. So, so I think that you have to understand and acknowledge that difference. Okay. Um, I will, I will emphasize for where we are right now. Holy moly cow. And a lot of people, I think a lot of people maybe there are going to be a lot of people who like me and what I'm going to be sharing over the next 12, 24, 36 months. But I, I think mm-hmm. that there's probably going to be a lot of people who aren't going to like it. Because I think that RevOps, the RevOps function right now, mm-hmm. has a tremendous opportunity to demonstrate its absolute indispensability. Mm-hmm. But I do think most of the places where people are talking about RevOps, as I've shared before, that's not where they need to be. Um, right. And I worry that that, that RevOps is going to fail to deliver on what it needs to deliver on mm. over the next 12 to 24 months. I'm sorry, 24 to 36 months. So, So, so let's talk about how we got here. You know, it's funny because I used to do a. I was I was going to write a book called Third Wave Selling based on Alvin Toffler's book, kind of cheating off of Alvin Toffler's book, The Third Wave.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course,
1: if I had written the book The Third Wave Selling, I probably would have gotten a cease and desist order from from Alvin Toffler. But that's that's beside the point. Yeah, um, the whole idea of Third Wave Selling is understanding how we got here to what the, you know the three waves are. We were agricultural, then we were industrial. Yep. And now we're now we're digital. Um, and and so here's here's something to think about. Mm -hmm. The greatest period of prosperity and growth, especially in the United States, Mm -hmm. but I would say it it even extended worldwide and why the 1990s into the 2000s brought so much disruption to, especially American business was, do you know what, do you know what it was? I'll tell you, world war two,
2: world war two,
1: world war two, we're going to, we're going to mix business school and history together. World War II
2: was way before before the 90s, is all I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Do you know what happened in World War II? A lot of things. There was a war, and basically the whole world was involved. Um, The entire industrial, every industrial economy, every manufacturing economy in the world, Mm -hmm. with the exception of one, was destroyed.
2: What was the one exception?
1: United States. Okay. You go to Europe. Even in Russia, well, Russia really wasn't as as advanced, but you, I mean, you go to Europe and Europe was was destroyed. As a matter of yeah. fact, what what helped turn around and, and, and created the world as we know it today was the Marshall Plan. What was the Marshall Plan? The Marshall Plan was going to Europe and rebuild it. Yeah. Right. Uh, <clears throat> massive building needed to take place. Massive, you know, machines, equipment, materials, everything needed to... Needed to be created. And there was one economy that could produce it. Yes. So the United States, that that's when the United States moved into the position that we now think of, of the United States. Mm-hmm. What happened in the 1990s, by the way, here's a side note. Here's the upside for Europe getting destroyed. So we had an au pair back when uh, Drew and Dylan were were much younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was from Poland. Mm-hmm. And you know, you think, Oh, it's coming from Poland. Borderline, third world, you know, there she's gonna be amazed by by what's here in the United States. Well, she shows up and she's got some Coca-Cola shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay, I guess maybe uh... but I think she had been here for like three weeks and we had a storm come through and we lost electricity. Mm-hmm. And she was completely confused by that. She's like, how how could you lose electricity? <laughs> Do you know why our, our base, you know, we're more Certainly, then we were more advanced in Poland, but mm-hmm. a Pole didn't understand losing electricity. Do you know what the difference why? was? Poland's electrical lines are mm-hmm. buried underground. Right. Okay. Ours are not. Right. Do you know why Poland's and Europe's and England's? Because they rebuilt line? them.
2: They rebuilt them in after World War II. <laughs>
1: Correct. Yeah. And and we didn't. Yeah. Right. So so you know again when you look at these things, what you find is the result happens in, in the most absurd ways so yep. so what happened in the 90s and 2000s was suddenly well there wasn't the same level of supply yeah i'm sorry there wasn't the same level of demand demand yeah because right but even more so even though net demand still increased but the rate of demand decreased mm-hmm. supply i mean so so you go into the 1950s and 60s you had far far more demand than you had supply right By the late 1990s, in most cases, you had more supply than demand. Right. Changes again. So let's talk about how we got here. Yep. And this story starts in the late 1990s. And we started spending massive amounts of money on tech. Yep. And two things drove tech. Two two things drove that massive spending. The first was Y2K. I remember it well. (laughs) Right. The whole issue about Y2K, by the way, um, do you watch the show um All Mankind it's a Apple No. series. No. It's actually really interesting. It's a uh it's a counterfactual story where Russia got to the moon before the United States and the space Oh okay. So gotcha. so one of the things so they just got into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And and one of the uh one of the counterfactuals was the Y2K bug reta- you know, wrought havoc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to get into whether or not the Y2K, you know, why it was Y2K um, a, yeah. a whole lot about nothing. It, it wasn't. Um, but, but for what, right, rightly, wrongly, whatever, a lot, a lot, a lot of money got spent yep. on tech. Yep. You also had Internet 2.0. Mm-hmm. That's what we I mean, Internet 2.0. I say Internet 2.0 is, is, um, is best encapsulated by he's got money coming out of his wazoo. <laughs> so this is back when, this is back when pets.com was, was going to multi-billion dollar valuations yep. when, I mean, you know, well, what's the revenue? Well, it's not revenue. It's eyeballs. Yeah. We're yep. monetizing eyeballs. That was my favorite line. Yeah. Monetizing eyeballs. So <laughs> money coming out of his wazoo was an E-Trade commercial. I remember. <laughs> yep, Super Bowl, Super Bowl E-Trade commercial. Yep. So internet 2.0 hits peaks in 2000 greeted with a massive explosion in the markets. Mm -hmm. We go from internet Mm 2.0, which is 2000 that disrupted the markets and, and messed with interest rates and money. We got through that. And then we hit the banking crisis and the great recession. And we learned there that there was a lot of fake money. Yep. One of the biggest issues that, that, that happened once we got through the banking crisis. And by the way, that banking crisis was like, I lost sleep. The, the funny, not funny thing is I understood what was happening because I've yeah. been in financial services and I really yeah. wish I hadn't.
2: So, so I did not understand what was happening, but right in the midst of the banking crisis, I had just started my first real job. And I was at an architecture firm and I remember all of these, all of these guys around me just like constantly checking the market and having like panic attacks at their desk over what was happening. Like so, it's fascinating to watch.
1: So I wish I was them. No, I understand. I, my, I get that. My, yeah. Let me just say, I wish my concern mm-hmm. was my stock portfolio. Right. Right. What, what I don't think people understand is that, That in, in late 2008 into 2009, it was an extinction level event, right? I still remember the day that we learned that the overnight money auction, like literally the, the quote unquote bonds or bills that matured the next day Mm -hmm. had no buyers, zero, like the money market stuff, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That is literally like the earth's core no longer rotate, right? It was a scary, scary thing. Yep. We, and, and we learned what caused that to happen and the reaction after that. And then as we got through that, as we began to get through that, we then had COVID. We then had to go through COVID and what that meant. So, yep. so if, you think about, if you think about where we are and how we got here, I'm going to divide it into three simple chapters. I could break it down more, but three simple chapters. 1995 to 1999, 2000 to 2008, okay, and then 2009 to 2022. Okay. So 19, 1995. From 1995 to, to 1999, the S&P 500 tripled in value, Three, up 200%. It tripled in value. Okay. In
2: 1999, the S&P 500 was up 19.5%. All right. So what is that? It's a tight... Yes. What was the impact of that? Like, what did
1: that was that mean? Well, it was a good year. Okay. It's more breaking down the nineteen point five percent. Okay. All so right. So think about this. At the time, what we always talked about is stocks historically average eight to ten percent. Right. Okay. It All right. Nineteen point five percent. Now, in previous okay. years, it actually performed higher. But um, remember, we're in nineteen ninety nine, so we're 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 about to enter the next chapter. We're we're at the beginning of this story. Okay. So this is more the preamble. Mm hmm. Yeah. If you take a look at the S and P five hundred. And you look at the companies in the S&P 500 and you break them up into two groups. And you say, let me put all the S&P 500 companies that made money that year that were mm-hmm. profitable. And let me put all the companies that lost money, pet stocks, okay. Companies that lost money. Now, wouldn't you mm-hmm. think companies that make money would do better than companies that lose money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Companies that, made, that lost money that year, mm-hmm. you brought them together, their average return was more than 30%. They were up more than thirty percent in nineteen ninety nine. Hmm. Companies that made money, the average mm-hmm. performance was down three percent. They were down. The higher the quality, the worse the performance. Why? Well, think about this: if you are a college player in mm-hmm. basketball, you are yep. basketball. You are college
2: basketball I'm fan. A, right? I am a college basketball fan. Yep.
1: What happens to somebody who stays in college through their senior year? What happens to their draft status?
2: It goes down. <sighs>
1: And how much does it go down? Significantly. Somebody who's played one year of college, which is They're usually required because you can't. Yeah. Someone who's, who's gone through one year of college, who rode the bench their freshman year, but yep. has the tools, where's their draft status? Higher up. Yeah. Now, if you were playing for the next year, mm-hmm. so at that point in time, was the, was the best senior... Probably better than the best, or let's say this was the fifth best senior, Mm -hmm. better than the fifth best finishing freshman. Probably.
2: Yeah. Probably. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, the, the freshman player has a higher ceiling. Yep. See, we know too much about, remember Silicon Valley, we're pre-revenue. Oh my God, you can't be post-revenue. If you're post-revenue, people will know (sighs) how much revenue you, right? Yeah. So, so that's what happened, right? It was all about story. Yep. So we go into 2000. By 2002, the S&P 500 lost more than 50% of its value. In five years, it tripled. In mm-hmm. a year and a half, it got cut in half. Mm-hmm. More importantly, mm-hmm. if you look at early 2000, the Fed funds rate was roughly 7%. Okay. Money was expensive. Money was tight. Yep. And by yep. the way, inflation was, was, was going up. The economy was super hot. So all those things happened. By 2003, the Fed funds rate was under 1%. Basically, money was free. Yeah. Um, In the 2003 to 2008 period, Mm -hmm. the term QE was introduced, quantitative easing. Yeah. That was the Fed issuing more money, moving money off of their balance sheet, putting more money into supply. So literally what was happening was mm-hmm. banks were taking balance sheets and turning mm-hmm. it into income. Right? Yeah. A, a big financial manipulation. Right? Why did we do that? Because the, the actual concern was deflation. I'm going to save. But money became free. Now, now, now think about this. If I'm, if I'm at 7%, if, if, the going, if the current interest rate environment is 7% yep. and we go to 1%, what happens to the underlying value of all assets when someone's trying to value it based on an interest rate factor? Decreases. By how much?
2: 7%. No. <laughs> no. Okay. How
1: much? By 6X. Oh, okay. So, so think about it this way. If you go from a 5% interest uh-huh. rate environment, the roughly, you can roughly say it's worth 20 times. What,
2: okay, what I see what you're saying. Right? Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. you go
1: to 1%, it's worth 100 times. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I got gotcha. you. Okay. So, okay. so by the way, all of a sudden, small amounts of money, mm-hmm. like if if I go from seven percent to 1%, one percent, a million dollars of of a million dollars stream is worth more. Yeah. Than five million dollars was. Yeah. Yep. Easily. Okay. Yep. So money becomes free. Money becomes easy. Mm-hmm. So we start flooding. The system with money. Yep. We see the market come back. And in 2007, mm-hmm. the Fed funds rate peaked at 5.5%. And in 2008, Bear Stearns and Shearson Lehman implode. And the Fed funds rate doesn't go to under 1%. It goes to 0%. Yeah. We start issuing quantitative easing too. Money starts flooding the market. The Fed funds rate doesn't break 1%, which, which is historically low. Yeah. I mean, there was no such thing as a Fed funds rate as 1% if you grew up in the 1980s and 90s.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the Fed funds rate breaks 1%, doesn't break 1% until 2017, roughly nine years. The Fed funds rate is zero or for all practical purposes, zero. Yeah. Yeah. And peaks at about 2.5% in 2019 with, with massive complaints about raising interest rates and right, blah, blah, blah. Right. I remember. Yep. And then what happened following 2019? You mean to 2020? And what happens in 2020?
2: We get COVID. We oh, have COVID.
1: The system yep. stops again. Yep. Fed funds rate goes back to 0%. And doesn't rise again until mid-2022 as infl- inflation starts to take off. Yep. And we are where we are now. Mm-hmm. Massive amounts of money fl- um, flood. Massive, you know, interest rates at basically zero. Money is free. And when the interest rates at, at less than 1%, where do you go to get returns? The only place you can go is, is equity investments. Mm-hmm. And so what starts happening to your money? Money starts flooding. Venture capital firms starts flooding private equity firms. Not only is it flooded from the standpoint of where do I choose to put it, Mm -hmm. but there's more money. Yep. So that's the financial element. Okay. Let's talk about tech. All right. Let's talk about the role of tech in this. Now, why am I talking so much about tech? Like it or not for the last 25 years, tech sucks up the oxygen mm-hmm. and SAS specifically. Yeah. To quote Jesse Pinkman, "SaaS bitch. <laughs> it sucks up the oxygen and, mm-hmm. and it defines business strategy. Yeah. Like the last 25 years watching tech is what it was like to be alive in business in the 1970s to the 1990s. Sure. With, with CPG. Like everything anyone talked about as the rules of marketing was all you know. What did Procter and Gamble do in the nineteen seventies, eighties, and nineties? Right. Sure. Now yeah. it's all about tech. So, so tech kind of de- begins to define the game. Yep. Now, now think about this: nineteen eighty, nineteen ninety-eight, into nineteen ninety-nine. You have the Microsoft antitrust trial. Yep. Windows is a monopoly. Yep. Microsoft loses the case, but nothing happens. Why did nothing happen? Because.
2: It was already so ingrained nope. in what we nope. did. Okay. The internet. They, oh, the
1: internet. Okay. The internet becomes the operating system, and suddenly Windows, yeah, doesn't have the same anti-anti-competitiveness. Right. Microsoft then get you know Microsoft you know so so all that begins to happen now. Think about this Salesforce.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and remember before Salesforce there was no such thing as SaaS. Right. It, it, it probably existed in some form. But it but wasn't, it wasn't packaged that way. Right. Yeah, right. Salesforce was founded in 1999. Everybody stop for a moment and think about this. What did it mean to go from non-SaaS to SaaS that, that led to Salesforce being able to have the slogan, no software? Yep. What it really meant, it, it was two things. One, it went from being a big CapEx expense that you had to buy it up front and to, to a subscription. But the bigger issue was when you went to Salesforce and all the people that followed the path of Salesforce, that was the beginning of the cloud. There was for all practical purposes, no cloud. Yep. I still remember. Do you remember the Z drive?
2: Well, yeah, I remember. I remember that. And I also was very aware of this in 1999. So I, you brought up Y2K. I said, I remember it well. So my dad worked for electronic data systems and his job was, was selling, data uh like what used to be called data centers but essentially he started selling the cloud version of that i don't remember what eds called it like to craft foods and all of, like so i i remember but, this switch and like we remember him talking about it but
1: but but the cloud is actually more than that right so, so if you go back to eds and, and and pro systems basically it started that they had tremendous service space server space they weren't using all right. of the server space hey we'll sell you it's like yeah. having an apartment that's too big. It's like the Airbnb of. <laughs> exactly. Was, you know, the subletting an Airbnb of.
2: 100%. Okay.
1: Yeah. But even when you were using Perot Systems and EDS, it was yours. And basically, yeah. it was a storage. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. So the cloud was that it, it was kind of pre-built. It was already there for right. you. It became far more flexible. All, what 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 the EDS system did is it was still on premises, right? It wasn't correct. on your premises, yeah. Right. So yeah. the Z drive was the server drive, right? right? That's where the you know because I had the drive on my computer and the Z drive. <laughs> yes, correct. <Right. laughs> I remember. I still remember we had a computer in our office at when we were imagined, and that was our. I remember when we went on Box. I'm like, this Box thing doesn't really make like this is kind of cool. <laughs> do, do I have to right so. Yeah. So what does it mean for the shift to the cloud? Here, here's what it meant. So so today, I don't know, we deal with it because it's like, if you don't ask, is what you're using on-prem, yeah. you make a mistake because you just, like, everything's on the cloud. Yeah. The cloud is so prevalent, we don't even talk about it anymore. Right. Yeah. But but keep in mind, 100, virtually 100% of that has happened in the last 20 years. Wild. Right? Yeah. So. So massive demand. Yep. Limited supply. Yep. Actually what made Amazon, Amazon AWS was, Mm -hmm. Hey, wait, well, Azure came much later. Right. Right. So, so we're, we're in that same dynamic. That's why I brought up World War II. You have that. Mm -hmm. Think about this. 2003, MySpace is founded. 2004, Facebook is founded. Facebook is. great. What do you have here? You have the gold rush. You're in gold rush environments, post-World mm-hmm. World War II, gold rush, 2000 yeah. to 2018, gold rush in tremendously easy money environments. Right. Yep. What does that do to valuations? Value, like, I, I like to sometimes joke around penny stocks or pensions, right? You, you know what's doing well today? You know what no one's talking about today? The problem with pensions, pension, you know, the unfunded pension mandate. You know why pensions mm-hmm. are okay? Because we went from a 1% environment to a 5.5% environment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden I need one fifth of the value to support the income stream. Right. Yeah. Right. So all this is happening today. Where do we exist? Fed funds rate 5.5%. Five-year treasury 4.5%. For years, a five-year treasury was less than 1% inflation at a 20-year high. With extraordinarily tight money. Yeah. And further, if you want to know how business is doing, I learned this when I was, uh, I learned this watching All President's Men, my time in Merrill Lynch, right? What was the main line from All the President's Men? Follow I the don't
2: money. follow them. Oh, that's right. Follow the money. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> More importantly, don't follow the money, follow the money in motion. And for 23 years, money was moving like we've never seen it before. Venture funding, private equity funding, IPOs, mergers and acquisitions, and bank lending. And what's happening now? It's not moving. Mm -hmm. Everything's gotten tight. Yep. And what's happened? No one knows what game they're playing anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Context is God. (laughs) What is the game that I'm playing? What are the rules that I'm playing by? Right. What is winning? Yeah. Is winning growth, growth, growth? Is winning profit? No one's clear because nothing's happening. We're in a, all things considered, we're in a pretty good market. The economy is pretty good. Don't tell anybody that. (laughs) (laughs) There's tremendous lethargy. Why do you say that? Who right now would confidently predict what January is going to look like? Oh, no one. Jess, <laughs> that's that's 40-some days away. I know. I don't know if the decision I make today mm-hmm. is going to bite me. Yeah. Now, now, think about this. 2000, we have the internet crash.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Market gets cut in half. 2008, we have the Great Recession. Yep. Market gets cut in half. Two thousand twenty, we have COVID. Market gets cut in half. Before two thousand, do you know what the next the, the next previous equivalent level event was? The oil Ooh, embargo- two- oh. the oil embargo of the early nineteen seventies. Oh
2: yeah, 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 Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Led to the led led to the decade of stagflation, et cetera. Right. A generation is considered twenty years. Yes. In twenty years, in one generation, we've had three extreme once in a generation events
2: so that's like that's like the thing that was going around with covid like when covid came around like i i my my generation can't handle another once in a lifetime event hit us and
1: and by the way each one radically different radically unexpected yep oh and by the way what's fueled all this growth tech spend tech spend tech spend yeah why has productivity gone through the roof and wages haven't? Tech, tech, tech. What's the underlying environment of tech until about five years ago? You ready for this? Where, where, where's my research here? I've got it. I know. I did all, the, I did all this in advance. Um, GDPR introduced in 2018 the first real piece of regulation to really influence technology in 18 years. Microsoft yep. trial in 98, finishing in 99. Yep. Go for glory, right? As we get social media and on and on and on, right? All fueling data becomes the new oil, right? Yep. We have all these things happening that are hyper, you know, creating hyper elements of the market. Inflation has now hit. Mm -hmm. We're now dealing with that. And guess what? It's time for the adjustment to be made. So here's my question. Mm-hmm. How can you make a prediction if you're not confident about January? As a matter of fact, forget being confident about January. Mm-hmm. You're not confident that the decision that you make today isn't going to have you screwed by January. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, 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 why is there lethargy? Because, mm-hmm. like, how much disruption can you take? Right. Before you just like, you're just confused. Just freeze. Yeah. Right. It's just hard. Yeah. Right. I don't know what I'm supposed to like. Satisfaction equals perception minus expectation. I don't know what to expect. How can I be right. satisfied? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So, so, so the thing that's weird today. Like this is the unique thing that I'm seeing. I've never seen it before is if we look at early and mid-stage sales cycles, demand levels, et cetera, it's actually pretty good. This is what we're seeing ourselves. We're seeing in our clients. Mm -hmm. Like you look at those things and everything looks okay. I mean, especially when you take out the, 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 you know, historically positive experience of, of roughly Q3, actually Q3, 2000 through Mm -hmm. Q2, 22, Okay. We started to experience some of the downturn. Q3 was, is considered, like that was done yeah. you know, when SAS began to really feel what they were feeling. Right. Right. So, so once you take out that two-year period, like all those elements, like, hey, it's pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it. I see it happening. We have, we have the data. It all The yeah. early parts look good. But you get to the point, you get to 80, 90% of the process. You get to the late stage when the decision gets made. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen it this hard. I mean, I've seen it this hard to get decisions, but it's hard throughout. Right. Demand right. levels have dropped. I'm not seeing demand levels drop significantly. Okay. But I am seeing the ability to make decisions. People are afraid to commit. Why mm. are they afraid to commit? Because they have no context. Yeah. Right. Think about this. And this is what this means for go-to-market.
0: Every mm-hmm. purchase
1: that you make, and really every decision that you make is a representation of your prediction or think of even better is the bet that you're making about the future. So you're picking the game. Yeah. Who's going to win. And if you can't pick the winner Mm -hmm. for roughly next month. Right. How do you commit to something that's supposed to impact you for the next five years? Yeah. And, And by the way, think about this. We get through, we get through Y 2 Y2K internet bubble Mm -hmm. five years later. Okay. Everything's good. Bam. Great recession. Yeah. Takes forever to get through. Then we get uh, five years. Now I'm not going to put this at the same and I don't want to get, I, I, I'm not saying this from the politics of it, but Donald Trump getting elected was a, was, was a black swan event. What does that mean? Basically completely unexpected. Oh, okay. Just yeah. out of the, like, like... Right. And again, someone's going to say, well, you know, um, Ned Sil- you know, Nate Silver's index said there was a 33% that he won. I'm talking about going into 2015, into two, like at the point of the election, I realized that that was... But I mean, remember right. everyone was saying, you know, every every late night show was saying, we got we to tell the jokes while he's here. Right. Yeah. And, and by the way, do you know why Donald Trump ran for president?
2: I don't. I did not know we were going to go here. I didn't have this one on my bingo card. Um, why was Donald Trump elected president?
1: No, why he ran for president. Oh,
2: why did he run for president?
1: He was in a contract negotiation with um, NBC about The Apprentice. Oh, well, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. If if NBC, if, if, um, if Obama hadn't burned him badly at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah. But even more so, if NBC had given him a raise to let celebrity apprentice run what or apprentice run whatever it ran. Yeah. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, we, uh, <clears throat> so 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 again, that was a very disruptive event. Yeah. Yep. That that then led to you know then then COVID. Yep. And so every time we're about to go, okay, we get sidesweat. Yep. Right, that that's why that's why there's lethargy. Okay. And so so you want people to be able to make decisions. You've got to create confidence. And how do you create confidence? You create confidence with context and people have lost their context. Mm-hmm. People don't know. Am I in the upside down? Yeah. Or the downside up? Mm-hmm. Yep. Already. Right, I just rolled on some history there. Any.
2: I don't, I don't think I have any questions, but like what, it, so what does this mean for today? Like what, what, what are you recommending?
1: We do. For, well, for today, I'll let everyone for know. We're actually, we're actually recording this on the Friday before Thanksgiving week. <laughs> so for today, it means I'm about to be done because I'm taking next week off. You are. <laughs> um, it means that, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. It means, you know what? We are not in the market that we were in. We are in a different place. Mm-hmm. It's too early to tell whether or not it's a structural shift. There, there's, there's three outcomes that could happen okay in, inflation comes down mm-hmm. probably have some level of mild recession interest rates come down um and 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 we return to market conditions of of the last normalized market conditions of the last 10 years mm-hmm. we we could be there yeah this could become normal we could just be in a hard tight period yeah. of time i mean if if you look at um you know, there are many times in history where you, you've you had to be careful money, money, capital costs. Yep. Um, consider, again, the supply-demand balance. That's one of the elements that I think is, is you know, outside of the quote-unquote economy, interest rates, Fed funds, et cetera, is we're in a different place yep. from a su- supply-demand standpoint. Yep. Um, there, there are very few indispensable you have no choice you can't do without. Yep. I mean, they're there, but they're nowhere near as, I mean, there was a period of time where you're going to the cloud that that's still happening, but it's not happening in the bulk or in, right. or in the sure. part of that wave. Yeah. We could also be in for a period of just a lot of rapid reversals.
2: So what do you mean by rapid reversal? Year or two going up,
1: year or two coming down. Year or two going up, year just okay. whipsawed back and forth. We could be in a gotcha. of whipsaw. Those are the three options. I don't know where we're going to be. I'm not, I'm not saying we're in here forever, but what I do want to emphasize is I believe firmly. And by the way, if I'm wrong, I'm still better off. <laughs> even if interest rates do come back down, even if inflation does come back down over the next 6, 12, 18 months. Mm-hmm. yep. I don't think that means that the market that the, that the behavior of the market is going to go back to where it was Mm -hmm. because we're, we're very much in an adjustment period. We've, we've been spooked. Yeah. Yep. And so it's probably going to take three to five years at least if we get to a normal, Mm -hmm. it's probably going to take three to five years before we feel like normal. Right. And, and, and the good news is if you adjust to the things that I'm talking about today and I'm wrong and we go back to how the market was and life becomes easy, this will, the things I'm going to talk about will not hurt you. They will yeah. help you. And, and if I'm at all right, this could be the difference between making it through healthy and making it through weekly. Yep. I don't mean like every week. So what do you need to do? What are we doing? What are we doing and what are we recommending? Number one, you need to adjust your message position. That is not the same thing as your positioning. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, now you may need to change your positioning. You may need to look at that. You may need to look at your market and say, what is the problem set? Where do we really fit? Yep. But so much messaging has been about new, 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 gain, gain, gain. And that messaging isn't going to have the same impact. Mm -hmm. You also need to change your selling proposition. It's it's no longer about being ahead of everybody else, it's about not falling behind, right? We are in a place, and I remember this in the in the in the two thousands. It got you through, and and in the Great Recession, it got you through. Yeah, is it is about loss avoidance today? Okay, that is the driver, right? And 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 by the way, even in good markets, loss avoidance still still wins. Mm-hmm. Double down on insights and leadership. Insights are. Stop, like I get in in like what's the word? Thought leadership. You, you do thought leadership for likes. Mm-hmm. You deliver insights for impact. Okay. You don't get the same number of likes. Right. You know one of the one of the CEB now Gartner are responsible for two really amazing breakthroughs about go to market. One was challenger sale, mm-hmm. and the other is about sense making. Stop talking about how easy it is and how great you are. I mean that, that that that's awesome for impulse purchases. It's awesome when when confidence is sky high. Look, especially if you're selling for real value. Like let's again, let's talk about companies that are you know fifty five hundred salespeople, like you know mid market and above. Right? You're yep. selling to the, you're selling to those companies. They know it's not easy. They don't want easy they're not looking to save a million dollars because your product's a million dollars less than theirs. No, they're, they're, they're trying to drive enterprise value. What they're, they're trying to make sense of the world. Yep. And, and if all you're doing is, is promoting, 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 I mean, you, people will like you. Yeah. But you know, it's the relationship selling of, 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 of the 2020s. You know, do you want to be liked or do you want to be valued? Like you, you really have to, de- like, how are you delivering value? How are you better off for, for what's, what's happening in leadership? Leadership is all about, well, provide the light, create the context and don't like everyone, I get it. The happy path is better. And I love the happy path. I, I actually, I think I'm a happy person. I know a lot of people probably will disagree with me on this. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a happy person, Right. And, and you want to know one of the reasons why I stay happy is because I don't have some false expectation of what's going to happen. I'm ready for when yeah. the wind hits me provide that leadership, help people understand their dangers, help them understand their opportunities and how to capture their opportunities. And even more importantly, help them understand how to u- utilize their strengths. And then, and then this is the last one. This is, this is where, this is where it really comes. This is going to be the difference of, of who wins in the next three years and who doesn't, you got to sharpen your sales process. You got to sharpen your approach. And again, I want to emphasize the changes that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. will get you through this market, these conditions that we're in as, as well as you can possibly get through and, and they'll really pay off when you get into the, you know, when, when, when the markets get back to a normal. Right. These are the places. The, these are the transition periods. These are the opportunity. It is difficult times like this where you have the opportunity to truly overtake your competition. So the first yep. thing is stop focusing on the sale. So goddamn much. What does that mean? You need to understand that it's a decision that you're managing. It's a decision process. Okay. So let, let me quote. And by the way, this is a good time to go back to the beginning of the year RevOps show, we had an interview with uh, Matt Dixon, who who wrote The Jolt Effect. This is from The Jolt Effect. In sales, the worst thing you can hear from a customer isn't no. It's, I need to think about it. Yeah. It's no decision. When this happens, deeply entrenched business device says to double down on your efforts to sell the buyer or to sell a buyer on all the ways they'll win by choosing you and your business. But this approach backfires dramatically. I am not saying this. The research back that Matt Dixon and others have done are saying this. By the way, I do say this, but I'm not the one saying this. Why? Because it completely gets wrong the primary driver behind purchasing decision making. Everyone is so focused on post intent, but they sell pre intent. Yeah. Once purchase intent is established, customers no longer care about succeeding. What they care about is not failing. And that is why everyone is stuck. They know they need to do this. But what if yep. the market turns? They know they need to do this. But, but if I get 500 seats, what happens if we lay off 20% of our, of our staff? Right. Return? Yeah. You need to know those concerns are there when you're going to market. You need to understand that. Do not wait for them. Deal with them early. Deal with them directly. Assume there's going to be decision reluctance. There will be decision reluctance. I see lots of advice, which I agree with. You've got to sell to the CFO again. The CFO is there. The CFO matters. I actually think we're working on a whole course right now on on selling to the cost-focused executives. Yep. IT, risk management, operations, finance. If you wait until they're involved in the decision, it is too late. Yep. Yep. Do not wait to deliver the ROI case when you need to deliver the ROI case. Build the ROI case from the beginning. What is the critical business outcome that's needed? Why is it risky to move forward with you, but it is riskier not to move forward with you? Yeah. It is not about the cost of changing. Mm -hmm. You need to help them understand. You need them to understand the cost of not changing. Yeah. Everyone is feeling like when we're in a situation like this, we want to freeze, stay. Okay. I'm safe here. Yeah. We need to show them there is no not change. You are, it is changing. Right. What are you losing by not taking action? Because by the way, how much can happen if I wait until January? I'm just want to wait until January. I just want to wait until January. It's like reach out to me in two weeks because my calendar looks clear then. I'm sure I'll be able to schedule. Right. Sure. Two weeks. Right. You know. Yeah. You, you you've got to know that that's happening. You've got to deal with it up front, right? You've got to you've got to build that case, and you really have to be saying, "What is what what is wrong with this picture? What am I seeing that says something's off? Let's dig there. Let's overcome it. Let's demonstrate to our customers that we understand what they're dealing with. Help them make sense. Help them see what's happening." by the way i would also recommend wherever possible de-risk the decisions mm-hmm. yeah find some way to get them into it by the way once they're into it it's it becomes much less likely that they're going to take advantage of it um but like i'm you know open up to somebody for a for a 6 month reset right like you know you you you've got a seek based contract mm-hmm Open up to a six month um, Yeah you know to 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 a six month reset. Lower the lower the risk. Yeah. Hey, hey, they can't lower the seats. Like they, they can't reset if right. If they don't have fewer people. Yeah. Right. Uh, by the way, I have to say this. I I, I, I agree with, with, with buyers who've said this. How come if I add people, I have to pay more before the next contract period? Yeah. So if my seat count goes up, I have to pay for more seats. But if my seat count goes down, you don't have to. Yeah. Reduce for more seats. Like I, I understand why why that is considered, let's say, less than fair. Yeah. Me too. By the Same. way, here, here's something. And by the way, you want to drive the full year? You uh, actually no. You you don't want to do this because someone could lie. I actually, just came up with the idea. I was going to say, um, let you know if I pay for the if I pay for the year up front. My my seat count doesn't adjust until then. I realize yeah. no, I've got five hundred people. I'll just promise twenty people up front. So never mind. Forget that. That was yep. a bad idea. Every now and then, but, but but find ways find ways to de-risk. Find ways to now, this is not piloting. We can go back to the pilot or not pilot episode. Yeah. So find ways to get people to move forward so that they understand things. How yep. do I make the decision less big? Yep. Um, but but I would say again, like the biggest thing that needs to happen is you need to be building that case. You need to be building indispensability from the beginning and realize early on, everything's going to sound great. They're interested. They're ready. They're excited. They need it. Yep. And then when you're 80% through, when you're 80% in and everything looks great, that's when it shows itself and you've got to, you've got to be prepared for it. If you don't start addressing it until you're at that point, it is too late. Yep.
2: Um, I think the, the most, the, my favorite thing that you talked about, and I, and I haven't heard you, you frame it this way, and I don't think I've heard anybody else talk about it this way the fact that we're in this place of no context. And like we talk about unique, but I think, or different, but I think actually calling out that there is no context and nobody really knows what to do is, is, is a great insight. And really, what you need to do is get ahead of decision reluctance, focus on your approach, the decision process, and providing those insights. Um, those are the biggest things you can do right now to ensure you're able to move yep. things forward.
1: But, Let, and, and let's just real quickly talk about this year, right? So, mm-hmm. so we come into this year, everyone's worried about recession, everyone, you know, inflation, et cetera. Yep. And we begin to get a little bit more comfortable and then Silicon Valley bank happens and we begin to worry, do we have a banking crisis? Yep. Right. Unknown. Didn't directly impact a lot of people, but it's a yep. unknown. Yep. Um, then we begin to get Okay. And now it's like, oh, no recessions. It's good. Oh, but interest rates. I mean, so but inflation yep. hit a little bit higher than we expected. Then, okay, we, and now we have the Middle East crisis that, that, that's going. So, so outside of the big things, you've got these small things that are just saying unknowns, unknowns, unknowns. I've yeah. been in periods where, where the context gets lost. Mm-hmm. What's, what's different here, in my experience, is the length of time we've had no context. In 2008 to 2009, we knew we were in trouble. You had to shift your playbook to down market, right? This this period of time of, of absolute lack of clarity has just gone on longer, and, and that's where we're seeing this build up. That's why it's different. That's why we need to adjust. Yep. this was and So RevOps, RevOps people, this is, our time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: this is our time. This is our time. This is our time. To 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 dig deep, to to build and enable our teams to have the hard conversations, build the tools, build the processes, so that they can be building the cases before they need it. And when you do that, you'll be saying no to shitty revops. Until next time, and that's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps Show. It's so important
0: that we prepare for whatever may come our way in this different market. And having the history to show that we are in fact in a very different place today is great context for not having a lot of other context in this market. Also as a side note, I just have to mention, Doug could be a great motivator. I always get so pumped and excited after listening to how he delivers what you can do to be successful. It's something you should definitely consider actually listening to and implementing. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to us. We would really appreciate it if you left us a review and shared the episode. And if you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about our market today or what you can do to stay successful, email me at hannah@liftenablement.com or hit us up on X at Demand Creator or LinkedIn at Lift Enablement. Until next time, just say no to shitty rep ops.